Welcome to Manthropology, the podcast that explores what it means to be a man in today's society. I'm your host, Kelly, and in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the concept of embracing the suck. Joining me are Chris and Jay, two men who have a lot of insight to share about overcoming challenges and becoming stronger men. Chris is a 47-year-old divorced father who faced the challenges of navigating life post-breakup. Jay is a retired corrections officer who has seen it all when it comes to facing difficulties head-on. He's a military vet. He served 23 years in the Army, and he's got a lot of great stories to tell. We're also going to be joined by Christopher Hager, a licensed therapist who will talk about some of what he's been hearing from men who come into him for counseling and advice. And he's going to give a lot of tools and insight that you can use to persevere through adversity. Together, we'll explore the idea of embracing the suck and how it can transform your life. Hey everyone, welcome to Manthropology, where we're kind of like therapy, except here, it's not all the guy's fault. Now, take it away, Kelly. So Jay, I know you, we live in the same area. You're very active on social media. You're a little bit opinionated. I like it though. That's why you're on the show. Tell me a little bit about yourself and don't hold anything back because I know you're not afraid of offending people. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can be opinionated, but uh, I, I don't go out of my way to offend people. But if you're an opinionated individual, that that happens. You just tell it like it is in, in your world, right? Yeah. Right. I've I've lived a very, uh, some would say, a, a more masculine environment type of uh, occupations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've grew, grew up that way. Yeah. So yeah, I can be a little opinionated at times, but uh, I, like I said, I don't go out of my way to offend anyone, but it doesn't take much in today's society. You're to right. You're right. It doesn't. And I've noticed that on your, your social media. Have you ever been in Facebook jail? I need to ask that. Uh, three times. Have you really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, yeah, it, it's just unbelievable. I could go into stories, but I won't. But yeah, it, some of those benign milk toast things, other things I have said and done, I thought, well, yeah, here it comes. I'm going to be out for a couple of weeks and nothing. And then some of the most benign, really easygoing stuff and wham, I've, I've offended someone. And of course, it isn't you know Facebook that does this. They have an independent group. Well, who is this independent group? We never find out, do we? One of your Facebook friends has to report you, right? It's someone you're friends with? Uh, not necessarily. It, well, obviously not if it's public. Oh, okay. Or if it okay. gets shared in the public. Right. Right. Then then you're you're on the spit, so to speak. <laughs> you know, they can do what they want at that. You know where you can say anything you want? X. And I have a big problem calling it X and not Twitter. But like, are you on Twitter? I am. I'm not as familiar with that format. Twitter, I kind of got away from. It kind of became a a vacuum. There's a lot of vitriol. There's a lot of like hate and anger and angst and arguing. But now Elon Musk owns it, you know, and he lets you say whatever you want, which I actually like. Right. I have not been back on Twitter much at all since the Mr. Musk took over. So yeah. maybe I need to to adventure back into that uh, account and see what's going on. Yeah, that's where I get all my news, just because I get to subscribe to well, supposedly uncensored sources who are talking about the things that I'm most interested in and that I most agree with. So 
now that you're talking, I should probably introduce you. So this is the divorced guy I was talking about, the 47-year-old divorced father of two. This is Chris. Chris, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your story. Well, uh, so I'm the divorced guy now, but uh, I am also a physical therapist. Uh, I'm a dad. I've got two boys that I'm working on helping my ex raise, um, and she does a phenomenal job. So I work in the geriatric population, so I get to see a lot of different dynamic that a lot of people don't really get to see, which is watching husbands and wives part ways after years and years and years and the things that they see and the things that they have seen and worked through through their lives, which a lot of people these days just don't get to experience because everybody's getting divorced. Part ways, you mean because they die? Well, yeah, we'll call it that. Like, wait, well, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, they part ways because they've been together their entire lives. So they die. You made it Old sound like get... it was a choice there for a minute. <laughs> well, I suppose sometimes it is. I mean, men do die like 10 years before women. And, you know, that running joke that it's like, well, they want to do that because they can't stand to be around their wives anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really think it's because they've worked their asses off their entire lives and they're harder on their bodies. And that's just the way it goes. We deny a lot what we do to ourselves. Yeah. True. You know, uh, oh, I've got an arterial bleed. Well, give me a Band-Aid. Uh, maybe you should <laughs> seek some help for that. You know, just an idea. But, you know. Fact. Yeah. Fact. Yep. Yeah. Most guys should probably have been on certain medications for about 10 or 15 years longer than what they choose to until it becomes an emergency. That's well, sometimes fatal. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's the true, like, tough guy mentality that I was raised with and that I'm used to, but is definitely that I'm seeing is lacking in this next generation of men. And we've been talking about that a little bit. Guys who are in like the 20s, 30s, they've been raised different. They're like, they have different goals. They have different, uh, just a totally different mentality, I think. So they interact with the world completely differently. They've grown up with video games and, uh, and I grew up with video games, but it was not the video games yeah, it was that like were Duck yeah, Hunt. Right. Yeah. It was Super Mario Brothers. It wasn't networked where you interact with all your friends on your computer system and basically have no need to go out and actually talk to somebody I'll and do out. all the stupid shit that kids do when they're off with their friends. I'm going to go back further. Asteroids, you know, I mean, <laughs> black and light, you know, little triangles and pong. Did you say pong? I, I said. Pong. I loved Pong. When I was like 10 years old, I was going through like boxes of my parents' old stuff and I found my brother's Atari. Is it Atari Pong or was it? I think it was in television. Yes. Oh. It was prior. I think he was on a, a little, little twisty. Right. Yes. Yep. 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 Two dials. It was two dials. Two dials. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was the most fun thing. And I guarantee like if our, our kids or whatever came across a Pong game. They would love it. They would have so much fun. Pong was amazing. I think Pong was amazing. <laughs> and it eventually ruined all our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Okay, so back to you, Jay. You have a lot of stories. I mean, you worked in the prison. What do I call it? Prison industry? Like, like <laughs> I, mean, what? I work for the Department of Corrections. Let's go with that. Corrections, as a, okay. As a correctional officer. That is what it is. <laughs> the prison industry. Time. Tell me just a little bit more about that. Let's okay. start there. Well, when you first join the the department, the force, whatever you want to call it, you're told immediately you're going to be tested. And you know you're going to be tested because they're trying to figure out what you're all about. Are you going to be the soft guy? Are you going to be the hard ass? 
Are you going to be the mediocre dude? The the inmates? The in, the in, yes, and your the, coworkers maybe too a little bit? or Well, they're watching to see how you react. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to react to you as to how you react. And just in the short time of my span of being in prison for 29 years, that's my running joke. You were in prison for 29 yeah, years. That's my dad tells everybody. He usually lets me off the hook and tells him that I was actually on the right side of the bars. But anyway... <laughs> Yeah, they're going to react to you. So you're you're being watched on all fronts. So you better suck it up. You definitely had to have that mentality. Things have changed a lot since I have left the department. But your first six months there, not only were you having to deal with the with the offenders or the inmates, you had to deal with the staff, but the staff didn't deal with you. You pretty much were thrown to the wolves. You figure it out, kid. You know the basics, you know what the policies are do what you're supposed to do. So that was definitely a suck it up period. Yeah. That first six months where, you know, you, you either make it or you don't. That's it. So that was like the, the early days, but you did have a really big event happen at the prison that you worked in that probably made you go through a lot of emotions. I don't even know if you want to talk about it, but there was a huge tragic event that took place and you lost some people that were really close to you that you worked with. And I know that's probably really hard to talk about, but if you could talk about it a little bit, what happened and how you got through it and how it had affected the people around you. So what did happen? Well, we had uh, two people, uh, staff members, uh, a nurse and a correctional officer were murdered in cold blood. They were bludgeoned to death by hammers on a botched escape attempt, which was going to go nowhere, but they tried anyway. And uh, it was uh, gruesome. It was horrible. And basically at that point in time, you stick it out, you stay, basically for your fellow officers is what it comes down to. And watching out for each other and trying to do the job and continue to do the job. Uh, it's an important job and you, it doesn't go away. And you have to, you just have to embrace, embrace that suck. That was the, my main thing was to try to make sure everybody went home safe. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of things that led up to that happening where we were embracing the suck. And like I talked about earlier, the suck made no sense. And when the suck makes no sense and it's things are done wrong, this is what happens. These are the things that happen. We were way understaffed. We were not being properly heard. We were not being taken care of by our higher ups, much higher up than pretty much the uh, prison level even. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, this is what happens. But back to that. Yeah, you you, you, you do it. It's, it's the same mentality as a soldier. You mentioned I was in the military. You do it for your fellow soldier. You want everybody possible to go home at the end of the day, no matter what. That's that's how you you compartmentalize it. Yeah. You can't control everything. Mm-hmm. When you embrace the suck, you embrace the moment and what can I control? Mm-hmm. What can I do? So there are emotions I can imagine like just like running through your head. How do you channel the organization, the the strength, the all the things you need to just put those emotions aside? act quickly, organized, do all the things you've been trained to do, like what helped you get through those moments without, because those are times where you can't show weakness, you can't show emotion. How do you do that when you're feeling so many things, but you have to be so strong? Staff have to lean on each other. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to compartmentalize it, 
what can we control? What can we do? And try not to let them rattle your cage. Because here again, they're going to test us. There were things said, there were things done afterwards, even that were just unspeakable. A normal human being's reaction would be, I'm going to open this cell door and I'm going to choke this SOB out. Yeah. Yeah. We can't do that. Mm-mm. We are professionals. We have to, we have to toe that line. And it's it can be very tough to do. You you literally at times have to just shut down some of the things around you. Mm-hmm. You have to, like I said, narrow it down. There's a the, I don't remember if it's a verse in the Bible or what, but it's I believe it's something to the effect of give me the the strength to change what I can change, the acceptance the to accept the things that I cannot change, and the wisdom to know the difference yeah. between mm-hmm. the two. And I kind of really drew strength on that mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Of this is how we have to deal with it. You have to compartmentalize. You you do what you have to do to get through this within the scope of your duties and lean on each other and just move forward. That's really all you can do. Gave me goosebumps and tears in my <laughs> eyes. I'm not going to lie. That was pretty awesome. Well, I'm going to let you rest for a minute. <laughs> that was a lot to unpack. But I'm going to move over to you, Chris. You have led a much different life than Jay over here. You know, Jay's been in the military. He worked in the... I was in prison for 29 years. <laughs> you took a different path. I mean, you're a doctor. You've been in like science and like the medical industry and things like that. So talk a little bit about, about your background, about all of that. And then we'll get into some of the stuff that you went through. Well, so uh, my dad was in the Navy and uh, he spent, I think he did his four years in the Navy and he was just done. And uh, I went the traditional college route, very traditional college experience, went to Iowa State and met a lot of great people, a lot of just great friends that I still have today. So you do develop a similar brotherhood, but it's definitely not the brotherhood that you develop being in the army, working in uh, the prison system where you have to rely so heavily on each other. So, you know, after that, just went and started to have a career and tried one career, didn't like it, turned around, started a new career. And here I am after being a physical therapist for almost 20 years. But I look back, I do regret not going into the military. Hmm. I even when I went back to Hmm. PT school, I actually looked into becoming um, or look at, looked into my options of becoming a Navy medic as part of this so that I could try and get PT school paid for. But I went into a recruiting office and then they steered me. Uh, they tried to steer me to go to nuclear power school for some reason. And I'm like, that's not why I'm here. So then I never looked back. What was it about military life that appealed to you? What were you looking for? What were you looking to gain through possibly entering into the military besides getting your school paid for? Well, I think guys are always looking for achievement, the self-improvement, just becoming stronger, becoming more effective as a human. And if you don't really know how to do that, can't really think of any other place to go besides somewhere that's so structured like the military. My, I'm a very logical thinker. I mean, you have to accomplish this, so you have to do A, B, C, and D. So that you can learn a system so that when you are in the shit, (laughs) you have at least a construct for how to get yourself out of the shit. That's something a lot of people miss out on these days because college does not teach that anymore. College teaches you, you go, you get an undergraduate degree and you, then you have a bunch of classes in music appreciation and, (laughs) you know, geology and whatever. And, uh, you know, those are great courses for people who are interested in music or geology, but they don't teach you how to run a business well-rounded or not, it just doesn't make any sense. 
So fast forward, you've been married a couple times Mm -hmm. and it didn't work for you. Talk a little bit about that. Obviously, you go in and out of those situations and you do a lot of self-reflection. Did I meet the wrong person? Did I select the wrong person? Who went wrong? And when it boils down to it, both parties have issues and have had problems. So the only thing, like as Jay was talking about, you control what you can control and try to figure out from your own, own end, where did I go wrong? In doing a lot of that reflection, I think personally, it's because I had a father and, you know, he was present for the most part. He worked his ass off and he worked a lot of hours, but mom kind of ruled the roost a little bit. And so I kind of learned I was more of a mama's boy than a daddy's boy. Um, Mom wouldn't let guns in the house, so I never hunted. I never, you know, never knew how to respect some of those things that were that may lead to a stronger sense of masculinity. Mm -hmm. I think that's where I failed personally in a lot of a lot of my marriages, both of my marriages in both of my marriages is because I didn't have that sense of masculinity in order to create the correct longstanding polarity in the relationship to keep things going. Long story short. Well, I think you're being too hard on yourself for one thing. I'm going to help let him off the hook a little bit here because do do you know who has the highest rate of divorce in the world is military and law enforcement. So that's the point. Don't think that that was probably it at all. That was not it. The different difference in in masculinity there is, yeah, I mean, I always had a, we always had shotguns in our home. Mm -hmm. My dad hunted when he was younger. Then there was a period of time for like 20 years. I never saw him take that thing out of the case or shoot it. Mm-hmm. He just didn't have time. He was a self-employed, self-made man. Yeah. And so, you know, I had to learn all that pretty much on my own mm-hmm. as far as weapons and all that stuff. And then when I came back, then all of a sudden dad's like, let's go hunt. Let's do this. You know, I, he gave me one of my his granddad's shotguns because he knew I had a love of, of, of firearms and respect sure. for firearms and all that. But yeah, you, you, you can't really- because I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, yeah, the military, we're great on marriages. <laughs> I know. Or, or, or the Department of Corrections or any law enforcement. It's it's rough. It's very Well, yeah, it comes with its own subset of uh, hang-ups. experiences, <laughs> hang-ups, and uh, ongoing yeah. mental difficulties. When you look at that spouse and you say for the 15th time, I'm going to be gone for a month, six months, a year, or I don't even know how long I'm yes. gone. Right. You talk about, I mean, I'm coming up here on 35 years. If I didn't have a very strong, independent, yet loving woman Mm -hmm. beside me and a lot of times in front of me, uh, that wouldn't have worked. Oh, I love how you said that. Beside (laughs) me and sometimes in front of me. A lot of times in front of me. I love that. (laughs) No, I was going to say, you're being way too hard on yourself too. Yeah, like way too hard on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So maybe I worded that wrong. I There was a lot of areas that I became a pushover where I should not have been a pushover. There you go. So that that, that can happen. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. So you said like your dad wasn't into that. Did, do you have siblings? Yes. You have I, brothers? I two sisters. Two sisters. Okay. One, she's two years younger than me. I call her my older sister because then there's one that's like 12 years younger than us. But anyway, um, she went in the military. And, no shit. Yeah. Really? Uh, and, and she went uh, for one of the reasons Chris talked about why he almost went. She became a nurse anesthetist. Mm-hmm. and basically got all of her education paid for through the military. She started out as, uh, well, for becoming a nurse anesthetist. She was in the reserves in college and uh, got her RN, and then she went on to a program, and I believe Fort Sam Houston, 
to become a nurse anesthetist all through the military, became a captain. I only became a staff sergeant. So she's got that over me. Wow. That's awesome. But she didn't last, but about seven years. Yeah. She quit, but there, there were reasons for that. There were, there were other extenuating circumstances. Can I ask, was motherhood and marriage one of them? No, unfortunately, okay. I, she wouldn't mind me saying she uh, contracted cancer. Oh God. Sorry. So they, okay. Well, it, it, it's good and bad because while she was in this, that happened while she was in the military, she did get uh, some disability for it. And she probably got really great, like, did she, VA hospital like care? And, or or is that questionable? Like, yeah, it's how was questionable, that? Okay. but she knew a lot of the people and knew where she wanted to go with her care. She knew the doctors. She knew the nurses. So she knew who she wanted to be with in those situations. And for the most part, they were like, yeah, okay. I mean, geez, she's got cancer. Let her, let her do her thing. Yeah. So, yeah, she they were... Pretty good in working with her, but honestly, it, it became a physical strain where she just could not do it anymore. Luckily, her college or uh, education was paid for. Mm -hmm. uh, she did finish out her, um, what do I want to say, her uh, payback, which she she owed Uncle Sam, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Because uh, she felt that she did. That was her. She's an honorable individual. She <laughs> believed that she owed them that, and she did that. That, that was the, the main reason that she... She got, got it. it. And then there yeah. was my kid sister and we both told her just like your dad. And, and I'm, I've kind of told my kids don't go into service. I mean, if you absolutely have to want to let me help you point you in a better direction than where I was air force, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> Na maybe Navy. My dad and brother were air force. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Yep. Smart. If mm -hmm. I had to do over again, don't get me wrong. I met some amazing people that I will never forget. And I still talk to obviously today. But, um, and are good friends with, and we get together all the time. It used to be you would kind of foster that, mm -hmm. you know, the, the brat would become the next generation. I don't see that as much anymore. <laughs> I see a lot of you like, <laughs> don't do it. Just, you know, if you absolutely have to, I'll support you 100%, but mm -hmm. no, don't do it. <laughs> Just don't, don't put yourself there. Um, Kelly, I'm going to step in for a second, let you know that we need to take a little ad break. Okay. All right. Thank you. And now, back to the show. Okay. Well, hi. Hello. So Christopher oh. Hager, licensed clinical therapist. Licensed mental health therapist, I guess, depending on what state you're in. Yeah. So where are you? Uh, I'm in Iowa. And uh, so like Iowa has LMHCs, which is licensed mental health therapist or licensed mental health counselor. Okay. Uh, like Minnesota and a few other states have LPCs or LPCCs. There's no regulation across the board, which is uh, kind of a, a messy thing. But it's like yeah, state so. by state. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. So tell me a little bit about your background, what you've done, like where you're from, what you are into. Well, after graduating with my master's, I moved to Des Moines, Iowa, and I worked at a opioid dependency treatment clinic, so methadone and uh, suboxone clinics. Uh, so I worked down there for a couple of years before moving up to Clear Lake, Iowa. And uh, I moved up there and worked at a residential facility, an outpatient facility. Uh, my internship was done at a residential facility, uh, primarily focusing on dual diagnosis and uh, substance use. Uh, it was kind of a, it was called what's a 3.7 level of care, which is 4.0 is you're going through DTs, you're fully medically managed, like in the ICU or CCU, whatever it is. Um, 3.7 is a step down unit where you're still medically managed uh, under 24 hour care, but you don't need that full on 
care. It's you're starting to kind of come down from that. So it's kind of that transitional phase of your normal, like hospital bed to your 28 day treatment. So that's where I kind of cut my teeth at. And after moving up to Clear Lake, I worked in, uh, like I said, a residential and outpatient facility. I was involved with a couple of federal grants. We're working with a program called multidimensional family therapy. I was one of four therapists in the state to uh, be a part of this uh, trial grant. And then I went on to supervise other clinicians in it, uh, working very intensely with individuals that are involved with like drug court, um, have a high mental health, a lot of things of that nature. Um, So I've had my CADC, which is a certified alcohol and drug counselor certification. I've had that since 2008. Uh, that switched over a handful of years ago to an IADC, International Alcohol and Drug Therapist or Alcohol and Drug Counselor. Um, so that means that I can go cross state. It, it means specific guidelines. I can do supervision and everything. Um, I've had my LMHC for years. Uh, in 2015, I actually left therapy for a while. I moved out to New York, uh, did some stuff out there. Yeah, I lived in Manhattan for a while. I think I saw that. Did you get into acting for a while? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I yep. liked it. And the hair looks totally different now. You had like <laughs> long hair and everything back then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, up until about uh, uh, it was about three or four weeks ago, I, I cut it. Why? <laughs> I'm embracing the dad role. You know, I hit 40 and <laughs> I'm just like leaning into it. Just full leaning into it. I got the dad jokes going. I figured might as well have the dad here. Well, we want to hear all the dad jokes tonight. It's all about the dad jokes. I'll do, I'll do my best. So tell me a little bit about like what you're seeing, like some of the people who are coming in, some of the 20s, 30s, 40s. Are you getting men who are going through divorce or like job changes or those kinds of stressors? Like what are you seeing coming through? Well, just uh, maybe for context. So I'm in North Central Iowa, which is a very rural uh, demographic, uh, more of a poor, lower socioeconomic status. Um, so I see a lot of, uh, rural farmers as well as, uh, you know, a plethora of individuals, people that are well off and those that aren't. So I guess what I'm kind of seeing with a lot of, uh, specifically with men is there's like a, a, a tough generation gap. And I'm wondering if you, you guys are seeing this, uh, mm-hmm. as well. We've been talking about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess what, what have you guys been kind of chatting about? What have, what have you been kind of seeing or noticing? And I guess you kind of mentioned Kelly earlier with, uh, Jay, you, uh, you kind of seen a transition being in the DOC. I'm sure that you see things a little bit differently than I would and that, you know, Chris would as well, but you know, I guess, what are you guys talking about, about what you're seeing? We discussed the extremes because it's okay. so easy to, to discuss the extremes, right. meaning you've got the, the suck it up mentality which of course I grew up more in and my job definitely required a lot of that. I had to be able to do that both military and department of corrections, especially when I started almost 30 years ago, right. uh, over 30 years ago in the military. So, it, and then we went to what we see today. Like I said, we're talking extremes. The, the young man with the man bun sitting in his parents' basement expecting. I'm pretty sure Christopher recently had a man bun. So (laughs) don't hate on the man bun. What I said, I did say, (laughs) I know, I know some NFL guys wearing man buns. And if you think I'm going to poke them in the chest and say, you're a wimp, that ain't happening. I'm, you know, (laughs) but we were talking about, you know, the extremes and what you see and how, how, you know, that just in our generation would not have flown. And Jay, he, he's 
we're t- we've got 10 years between us. He's 57? 57, 57, yeah. 57? 56, 56. 56. Okay. I'm 47. And he was, you know, he did the military and uh, department of corrections. And then I came from a family where it was all about promoting, getting your kids into college, not just going to the military or getting out and getting a job. And mm-hmm. then, so it, it, we've got like three levels of conversation yeah. that we've uh, addressed a little bit. Well, I tried college. Yeah, I did it for a year. I was a music major. What you did music? Can you play guitar? No, I can't play guitar. I was a brat. I was a brass guy. I'm sorry. Uh, but okay. um, yeah, I realized real quickly. Uh, I didn't have the talent, and I needed to be part of something bigger than myself. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a little bit about the generation gap. And then we were talking a little bit about our kids. Jay's got kids in their twenties, right? Yeah, I got Almost one. I got one in his thirties. Thirties. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I started right. young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. So, and I have a 26 year old. So yeah, we were talking a little bit about that, but yeah. So yeah. just to fill you in. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, kind of keep me, uh, get me caught up. Uh, yeah, no worries on the man, buds. I've heard it all. And <laughs> I am, I, I'm a farm guy through and through. I still farm. I grew up farming. So I'm, I'm blue collar, grew up shoveling shit type of guy. So yeah, rocking the man bun is I've I've heard it all, and but people assume <laughs> when you look a certain way that you have a certain mentality and or belief system, right? And and so that's kind of an interesting thing because you know it, it's what I guess I'm seeing a lot of is we have such a generation now, and I'm talking about like the millennials, you know, the people that are kind of really coming into their you know, they're, they're mid twenties, you know, when they really got to start stepping things up in life and like, you can't just play off of what came before, you know, being taken care of in certain ways. And there, there's this kind of gap generation that's going on. Cause my generation, you know, I think is, I'm, I guess I'm classified as an early millennial, um, around here, they still have that hard nose mentality. Uh, and you see a lot of this and I mean, different areas of the U S you're going to be seeing different things. So just like, for instance, when I was out in New York, I was surprised people bragged about their therapist. Oh, I've gone to therapy here. And oh, you see, it's like where I come from, you keep that shit undercover. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it was just a weird thing on how the difference is. But um, I remember being told when I was young, I have a couple of cousins that moved out to Arizona when I was about like 13. And so they said, everything moves from the coast in. You know, they were part of like oxygen bars back in the 90s when it was big and a bunch of other things. And it said, everything that moves out moves in. And in about two to three years, Iowa will get it. And there's a lot of truth to that because you're starting to see the things that were really popular out there, you know, pushing the gender boundaries, the transgender movement, all that stuff was really kind of ki- kicking in the mid, you know, teens. And now it's really kind of moved in. Well, now you got a lot of people that are really struggling with identity that have been taught. You are what you feel. And I'm going to even put this out where, you know, especially men around here that, are really struggling with, you know, well, I grew up with that hard-nosed mentality where, you know, you need to be a man, where you need to provide, where you need to, you know, all these traditional gender roles, but also at the same time, you're expecting me to be sensitive and and to show my feelings and all these yes. other things. And so, you know, you'd see this ambivalence on what exactly, like, what is my role here? Because I got a wife that married somebody that knew who I was, but now she's wanting this. Well, my kids are needing this, but I can't do what I was raised with because, well, I'd maybe get DHS called on me now because that just doesn't fly. So you see this, this ambivalence. Yeah. I think that's why we actually talked about starting this podcast, because 
because of that ambivalence, because of that, there's just so many questions out there. Like, how are men supposed to act anymore? And I don't think we really know. Well, what do you think about that? Someone comes in asking the question, I don't know what it means to be a man. I don't know how to act. What am I supposed to do? What are they struggling with? What What do you say? Well, I recently was talking with somebody specifically about this. They were a little bit older than me, but right around my age in their early 40s. And uh, and that actually got brought up because, you know, rural individual, you know, again, grew up in this in this mentality that uh, has been around, I mean, for generations, let's just be honest. And one thing that I think you, that men need to really kind of establish is uh, what I call preferences. And preferences are kind of what you value, but also how you want to be seen. Like, what does it mean to be like, you know, like if I came up, I came up to you, uh, Jay and Chris, I said, hey, you know, like, how do you want people to see you? Like, they see you walking down the street or if I walked up to a friend and said, hey, can you describe Jay? What would you want them to say? How would you want them to see you? How would you want them to describe you? What would they want to, like, basically project that they uh, view you as? And that is what's called a preference. Like I, I have people that I want me to see like as a good father or as a provider or as a, you know, a good husband or a hard worker, you know, those types of things, because those have all been ingrained through our needs or our values that we're either raised with or that we've come to embrace usually in our mid to late twenties. It's starting to push back a little bit because well, there's men, there's a lot of man childs out there now. I think I read a recent study that like two thirds or three quarters of, uh, of toys are purchased by men, yeah. like action figures, yeah. video games, things of that nature. I mean, so we have, a, and another study is, it was saying that, you know, the, there's a lot less sex in marriage because women feel like they are raising, they're with another, um, another child. And so I think that's 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 a good thing to kind of for people to be aware of is what are your values, because we still need to have those values as men and even as women. I mean, we all have those. There's people, there's women now that still want that traditional gender role. They're, that they, I want nothing more than to be a uh, you know a stay at home mom and to take care of my kids. Then there's others that say, you know what? No, I value these other things. Like wonderful. If that's what you like, that's what you like. Go for it. But we have to understand who you are at your core. More importantly, what you need that to look like to be able to fulfill those preferences. So when somebody comes in and I'll explore that with them, talk with them a little bit and get to know them, what they value, where their belief system is, not what they were raised with, but those things that drive them, those things that are important to them, and then kind of take a look at, all right, now, what does that look like to you? Not what you were told, not what you were shown, because, well, let's be honest, we have maybe a lot of people in generations that maybe didn't have a father figure, or if they did, it wasn't a very good one. Or if they did have a father figure, maybe it didn't match who they were. We got a lot of people from my generation now that say, I'm never going to raise my kids like I was raised. Right. Yeah. And you have a lot of people coming in to your office probably who are children of divorce. I mean, like my generation, like everybody's parents stayed together pretty much. But now, I mean, I'm divorced. My kids, all three of them are being raised as products of of a divorce. So like you probably have a lot of people coming in who are like, didn't have that traditional, like perfect marriage role model. So here's the thing that's kind of interesting with that. And, you know, again, I've 
I grew up with the same mentality. Stay together for the kids. You like you commit. Marriage is a thing that you commit to and you work at it. But not everybody does that. And that's what we're seeing a lot of is that a lot of times people weren't taught how to work at relationships. They were just taught how to stick it out. Yeah. And so that's kind of the thing that I see a lot with young married couples is they weren't taught how to work through problems. They weren't taught right. exactly like how to get through it because that's maybe, a great point. Yes. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I mean, you just get a lot of these things that really impact you know, where you come from, what you're shown, what you're seen, what you value. Yeah. And as a, as a, as a young individual that kind of is working through this world, you know, maybe you did have parents that stuck together, but it was a loveless marriage. Mm-hmm. But they stuck together just because they stuck together. Yeah, I agree. Not to interrupt, but I think oh. there was a generation of people who like you stick it out no matter what. We don't talk about our problems. We kind of like bury them because you stick it out no matter what. Problems? What? There are no problems because no matter what, we're staying together. And then you've got the other whole mentality where it's like, I'm just not happy. So like we're getting a divorce. Like right. and like it's so different. Like there's n- really not a lot of in between, I feel like. Do you do couples therapy or anything? Yeah, I do marriage counseling and family therapy. Yeah. And 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 that's a good point to speak to what you say. We we live in a throwaway society. Because, mm-hmm. Jay, I saw you over there. You're like, mm-hmm. we're all nodding our heads. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You're all yeah. right there. We, we, we are very... Uh, I was talking with my wife about some of these things. And, you know, we, we just live in a very throwaway culture. If it doesn't make me happy in the moment, then all right, well, we're done. And there's very little committal that happens in this because I, I'm seeing, I, just to be honest, from what I've seen, parents struggle to parent. They struggle to keep their kids accountable. They struggle to not give them whatever they want. They they haven't really heard the concept of no. They aren't taught that, oh yeah, you might not get everything in life that you want. And when they finally get to a point where it's like, no, I commit to something and oh, I'm not getting what I want. Well, then, well, I'm just going to walk away. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This has been a, a, a turnstile. And I guess kind of to go off this, because this was thinking through my mind, like, all right, how can I incorporate this? Well, you, you leaned on this one significantly, this shift. And anytime that there's a change in society or in any type of change, even interpersonally, we go from one extreme to the other. It's like a pendulum. We'd end up in this pendulum uh, experience where we go from one extreme to the other. And we're now over here. I mean, just take a look at what the world has done the last 20 years. It's gone from over here to bang over here. And then there's extreme opposites. And we are a very extreme culture right now. It takes time for it to find its balance. I think we're still a generation separated away from being able to find that balance of, oh, it's okay for me to not get what I want. It's okay for me to commit to my spouse. And it's okay to be a man and also do these things where I can talk and connect with my spouse and we can work on things together because, well, I don't have to hold on to this, well, tough shit, we're doing it. And also this, uh, it's not pleasing me at the moment, so I'm gone. So it, 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 we're in that pendulum swing right now. Oh, I love that. I never thought of it really that way, like one extreme to another, and then you're going to eventually meet somewhere in the middle. But Jay is chomping at the bit over oh, here. No. I know that like you have a lot to say about what he's been saying. I just found it fascinating. You mentioned that New York, they, they brag about their therapists. And like I said, in our day, you know, that, yes, they were out there, (laughs) but it wasn't discussed. 
Divorce was the same way. Right. Remember, I'm going to date myself here. There was a movie called Kramer versus Kramer. Mm-hmm. Today, they wouldn't make that movie because it's so darn common and, and, and everything, like we say, a throwaway society for better, for worse, whatever. You know, that's like making a movie about the wind blowing, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to get into, you know, morals and all that. You know, hey, it is what it is. I fully agree that if you're not happy, you know, stick it out for the kids. You know, honestly, the kids are going to be a lot more miserable watching their parents at each other's throats 24-7 than having a good relationship with their parents independently. And hopefully the parents can find that middle of the pendulum and it all works out quite well for them. Right. But yeah, it, divorce was like the the third rail. Uh, everything from society to religion to you just didn't touch that bad boy no matter what. And for better or worse, and probably a lot of times for better, that has changed. I mean, so. yes, a lot of times for better. I just think most of the time people should stick it out. Well, I think it's in how you stick it out, though. Right. Yes. You can still be divorced and stick it out. For the kids, for, okay, to, that's to, true. To, to, like, I mean, you don't have to be at each other's throats and want to kill each other. A lot of people get along great mm-hmm. as an unmarried couple, even better than they were married, and the kids appreciate that, and so do all the in-laws and outlaws and everybody else. Yeah, the, that's know. very true. Yeah. So we're talking about life being hard. We got to have the strength to overcome it. That's basically what embracing the suck is all about. Well, like I was saying, it's 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 easier to embrace the suck when the suck makes sense. Um, or or you look back at it and you say, oh, that's why we did that. The World War II generation, they could definitely be proud to look back at what they did and what they stopped and what they went through. Now I look at some of the things the modern soldiers going through where we seem to have a, I like to call the term, I've heard it before, wargasm. Where we get in, we fight for a while, and then we pull out, we leave a lot of stuff behind. And when we are all sitting there scratching our heads, that was going, graphic. What the hell was that for? You know, well, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. But what, but what no, the hell? Okay. What the hell was that for? Why did we bother with that? We got a bunch of kids killed. Um, we should, got nothing to show for it. In a lot of cases, we just left a lot of stuff behind, and then, then things sometimes even get worse afterwards. But anyway, embracing the suck. Yes, when you embrace that suck, like I said, what I had to do is I compartmentalized. As to what can I control, whatever I can't control, you just embrace it, you move forward, and you do what you have to do in order to get the mission accomplished or the job accomplished or whatever it is you're doing at that time. Uh, This seems like a pretty good place to hear from our sponsors. And now, back to the show. You've been through your own stuff. Divorce. I keep talking about divorce. You are only defined by your divorce, Chris. I'm sorry. You are more than a label, Chris. You're all right. <laughs> Talk a little bit about embracing the suck in your terms. So I'm seeing every episode has got to result in one man crying. Is that how this is going to play out? Shots and tears. I think most people who have not been in the military now are learning about this idea of embracing the suck. And it's because a lot of men are out there searching for enrichment, searching for a way to better themselves and dealing with life, which is hard. And so then this term of embracing the suck is becoming more prominent. And to me, it means that shitty stuff is going to happen. You have to find a way to deal with that shitty stuff and the pain that comes along with it, because with all of that pain 
there's an opportunity. There is a chance to see through it and become better. And (laughs) maybe you should become a therapist. (laughs) I am a therapist, just not that kind of therapist. therapist. (laughs) But that, I mean, that's how I want to see it because uh, life is hard. It's the day to day doldrums and um, you've got bosses and you've got significant others and you've got ex-wives and, and kids that are hard. But um with all of that, if you can stay strong as a man and maintain your ability to stay strong, you have the ability to move forward in life. Wonderfully put. I, I mean, you guys are right on it. That point that you said about pain. All right. So I'm I'm kind of diving into some, to some yeah, stuff. Yeah, dive here, into but... some stuff. All right. Get into the shit, <laughs> please. We're, we'll, we'll dive into this because. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get some more wine. Hold on. Does anyone need a beer? I need a beer. Okay. So I guess kind of bring that back into the, the, the idea of pain, you know, uh, going back to what you guys said, you, you hit the nail on the head. There's pain is, a, is a part of life. We, all these feelings and stuff that we have, and this is one thing that I encourage men is to understand what your emotions are saying. Men are just emotional as women. We just express it differently. Yes. It hits us a little bit differently. We process it differently. We show it differently. But that lack of pain is what we have taught so many people, men, women, everybody. We'd want to take pain away. In fact, you want to take a look at something. I think this is a illustrative, unfortunately, and well, in a terrible way, the opioid epidemic mm-hmm. you know, that, that was going through. You go into any hospital about 10, 15 years ago, and they would have signs everywhere. Our goal is to have zero pain. What is your pain score? That's the first thing they ask. What's your pain score? What's your pain? We don't want any pain. Are you are you at a two? Do you need any more? Here you go. That's how they gauged a lot of their metrics on was on how much pain was there. And look at what happened when we tried to take all the pain away. Little anecdote there. So my dad suffered from debilitating rheumatoid arthritis. And at the end of his days, mm. like he was on hospice, he was in so much pain, but he was managed by a pain clinic, a pain physician. And he was on very heavy doses of morphine, a mm. lot of pain meds. And it was always difficult for him to start with a new doctor or something. There was like kind of a stigma attached to that. Like, Oh, you're a you're an addict or something like but it was just like a product of passing on what every other doctor has done and it was really difficult for him. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing about that is over time they started taking his pain meds away yeah, and that yes. actually helped him get better. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a natural part of life and actually pain is part of healing. And so in you know that aspect of embracing the suck is that the suck can be terrible it can be the absolute shit but we don't realize that things are temporary our anxiety pain discomfort everything is is meant to try to keep us safe and keep us out of harm's way from a biological standpoint you know our amygdala is firing up saying you need to get out of here and it's doing whatever it can for us to move away from that and men are very primal at the core i mean we go off a lot of core concepts and so that is going to be right there as well. But we've taught an entire generation that they shouldn't have pain. Like, oh, it's an unfortunate thing. It's like, well, pain is a part of life. And we have to learn how to get through pain in a healthy way. Because if we don't, whenever pain comes in, we're either going to run from it or we're going to deal with it in very unhealthy ways. So, yeah, to speak to you guys' points of saying, you know, the, the, 
embracing the the shit. We need to understand why we're doing what we're doing. Now that gives me more compassion. That gives me more hope. That gives me more ability to stick through whatever we're going through. It's like, all right, I can get behind that. Let's fucking go. And so, you know, that is is kind of the big point of staying with the suck. Yeah. So pain is an alarm system that we've been given, that we've been blessed with, like, and we don't really embrace it the way we should. If it feels bad, don't do that. <laughs> if it <laughs> hurts, don't do it. If it hurts, don't do that. You know, if you're having pain from it, physical pain, emotional pain, you're doing usually something that isn't like good for you. You know, I've spent my entire career working with patients. It's like, well, every time I do this, it hurts. I'm like, well, don't do that and it'll get better. <laughs> and- same mentally, right? <laughs> Emotional stuff. You keep repeating the past. You keep doing the same things. If it, if it hurts, it's a cycle. Don't do that, right? Jay, what do you want to say? I'm just saying, yeah, you, you, you've got to embrace the suck. But like he said, you better do it in a healthy manner too. Being a veteran, 22 a day right now are going on average from suicide. You have to embrace the suck. Pain is part of life. But if you do not have the coping skills or whatever you're doing is not working, you have to be man enough to recognize that. And if you don't, when you want to tell the world, that's fine, but find someone you can tell if need be a professional, if definitely, if you're, you know, seriously considering suicide and get that help you need. Uh, embracing the suck doesn't mean at all costs, walk away from everything and do it, do it your own way, no matter what. And at the end, like you said, an unhealthy manner. So there's that line where embracing the suck also can be taking care of yourself and 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 getting the help you need. Yeah, and just not gritting and bearing it. Yeah. You're still yeah. going to have to bear the pain, but you need to know how to bear it properly and maybe have someone help you bear that pain. Right. You don't have to go on it by yourself. No man is an island. Well, and one question I had was, so men and women are built differently. And typically, women are much better about talking through their problems and letting their pain out through talking. Is which that true? Typically, uh, actually, yeah, women are better at expressing emotions in ways because they want to be heard. They're more communicative. They're better at communication than men are. And actually, women do better in divorce and live longer than men do because of that. They seek out supports. They seek out others. They're more uh, communal in, in regards of men. How many times you try to get with buddies like, ah, I can't make it today. We try to get guys night going and it's like pulling teeth, but women get together every Monday night. It's like, what the hell's going on guys? But you know, so men, men have a tendency to be a little bit more reserved and disconnected from that. Right. Yeah. Women do better. So I I did my own version of therapy after getting divorced and you know, it wasn't with a therapist, but it was, it was a men's group. I actually heard a little bit about this and it was, I'm very interested in this. It was really good. Actually. I think tell him a little bit about, well, I'm not going to go deep into it because if we're, if you're going to talk about it on another one, but I mean, a, a big part of it was particularly right after the divorce, find a way to get rid of that pain or get out of that pain. And a good chunk of that was, and it was kind of like, it, it there was a support group aspect to it, but it was guys. If you're having this pain, you need to find whatever way it is. Go to the gym, find whatever it is, and you you exercise as hard as you can. You work it out. You physically get rid of the pain, as opposed to just finding a buddy to talk about. Because men are better at getting rid of pain physically than they are verbally and emotionally. Yeah. That and that worked for me. What do you think about that? I think that men have the ability. But I think men struggle with vulnerability. Do women do it better than men? 
yeah, because I think they become more in touch with their emotions better, they're, whether they're taught that or it's just innate. I mean, having more of a nurturing side, men have a tendency to take on that, you know, that the solution focused role. I mean, that's the whole concept of mansplaining, right? We go right to the solution. We're going to explain it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get it done. And then we're going to move on. In a perfect world. A lot of times, <laughs> yeah, right. In a perfect it world. Works yeah. like a charm every time. Oh, yes. <laughs> every time. And nobody complains about it. <laughs> so I, I think that men have that ability. And they do really, really well when they feel like they're in a safe environment, not like safety, a psychologically safe environment where they can trust who they're around. They know that they're not going to be judged or made fun of. I mean, men have a tendency to really rip on each other just for fun. It's like, oh, that's how we show love. We just, you know, call each other whatever, you know. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're getting called like, you know, like, oh, gosh, I had a bad day. Well, geez, sucks to suck, pussy. You know, it's like... (laughs) Like, okay, guess who I'm not talking to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, it's just that, is that that mentality that I think guys take when we, we we test the waters, I think. We, like, put it out there, you know, dip in the toe in the pool. And it's kind of like teenagers. Teenagers want to talk. They do. They put it out there for everybody. But when it comes to actually talking, they go from here. It's like, I'm going to check your reaction. Is that all right? All right. Good. I'm going to test here. Okay. Did I get a good reaction here? No judgment. All right, great. Now here, here, here. It's almost like a seven tiered plan. And I think men have that same mentality. It's like, oh, I know how they managed on this one. Not bringing that one up. I remember that. It's like, again, we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid embarrassment. Vulnerability is hard. So how important and how can men build a support system that works for them when they're going through these tough times, like how important are friends, dude night, all of that? Like, what do you think about that? I think it's wonderful. We are a social creature by biology. We need it. Jay in the army, they, you're, you're, you're brother in arms, right? I mean, that's what it is. You become closer to them than probably some of them with anybody else that you've been closer with in life. You trust them literally with your life because you have to. You know that I have your back. You know I have my back because if I don't think you have mine, I am going to really struggle being out there in my most vulnerable state. I need to know you got my six. And I mean, and and Chris, I mean, I'm, I can imagine you know going to uh, you know a, a group where you're thinking, gosh, all right, they they have something in common with me. Now we have something to, to bond with. We have a common goal. Jay, you hit that on. We need to understand and have that purpose behind. Are we working toward a common goal? I need to know that you're there. I know I I can trust you when I'm going to be at a vulnerable state. Brene Brown had a really good video. I think she's a recovering alcoholic, so I would like to have a beer with her, but I don't think she would want to have a beer with me, but I still would think it'd be cool. But the power of vulnerability where for it's just a 17-minute TED Talk, and it talks about how we struggle with vulnerability, how important it is, but also how significant and uh, innate it is in humanity. Uh, Shame, guilt, fear, worry, all of those things, anxiety resides with vulnerability because it's basically saying the thing that I'm going to put out there is not the only thing that would make me like connect emotionally with you. It is also the very thing that could destroy me. Yes. I'm putting it out. I'm raw. And that is a scary thing because men, I got to keep my guard up. And I think that we need to find that balance of getting together with people that you trust. But you also have to be willing to take a risk. Find people that, you know, that 
have well intentions. And let's be honest, you can even go to a church and you still find people that are going to talk shit behind your back. So it's not even like, oh, I know I can go to my church or I can go to this, you know, AA meeting. Confidentiality is not guaranteed with anybody. And that's a scary thing because I'm putting stuff out there that I don't even want to admit myself, but you're wanting me to admit it with somebody else and put it out there for the world. Oh, hellfire. Very scary. There's different levels, like I said, of embracing the suck. It doesn't make you a wimp to, to go out and, and find that help if you need it. Matter of fact, I think it makes you more of a strong individual and a man to recognize, okay, look, I've got some issues here. I, I better get some damn help because I've lost more military buddies to suicide than I have anywhere else. And that really sucks. I don't yeah. like embracing that suck. No, that, don't so that you know, that's that's something I just want yeah, get off my chest, I guess. No. <laughs> well, my my brother in the Air Force, like he has lost several friends to suicide as well. Like yeah. that's like the biggest exposure I've had to that has been through him. And it's like yeah. really sad. He has some tattoos dedicated to his friends that he was in the military with. Very sad. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how you come to terms with some of the things you see in the military. I, I don't. And I mean, only trained psychologists and psychiatrists know better on that. But the atrocities that you see and experience and the struggles, anybody that's willing to step up and talk and seek out help as, you know, give them all the credit in the world. Embracing the suck can get us through and it can get us in trouble. People say, well, how can you go back into a situation when you know what the situation was like? Like I told you, you can compartmentalize. You can focus on that one thing that that gets you through and that brotherhood. Mm -hmm. And you actually get kind of a weird, some get a weird high off of that. But eventually, it's just like a drug. Eventually, you're going to have to come down and you're going to have to figure out how you're going to come down. And you better do it the right way. After embracing that suck and embrace the suck a proper way, a different way, if you have problems with dealing with things you've done, what you've seen, what had what has happened over your time. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing for men is we get a lot of different mixed messages that contradict one another every single time that you get. It's like, well, wait a minute, this is this, and now this is this. And again, men are stuck in this, in this I guess, going back full circle, this ambivalent cycle that we've hit. Who am I supposed to be? Because I can't be this tough guy and just shove it down like you used to be able to do. Well, let's be honest, like that's they it came out, but there was a lot of substance use, there was a lot of abuse, there was a lot of other things, and that's how guys ended up dealing with it. You know, you always knew the ones that saw the shit, but they didn't talk about it. It's like you're know, the ones that were talking about it back in the day. And I think that's that's kind of one of the things that I've seen in some military is that you don't if you if you were talking about it, it's because you didn't see it. And I think a lot of people will have that mentality still. And, and I, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the military, so I, I can't speak to this, you know, Jay, that this is your territory, buddy. Um, but, uh, I, th- I think just as a man, guys are kind of put in this tough position where men aren't men anymore. We aren't, we're actually discouraged to be men in the traditional sense. Uh, because it, it has such a negative connotation or stigma associated with it. But then also it's like, well, wait a minute, are you, you're wanting more of like feminine traits or what is this that, but you also want me to do this. It's, it's, it, it's a tough part to be in. The reality of the matter is don't be afraid to connect. At the end of the day, men need support just as much as women do. Women 
and men go through just as much pain. We just experience it differently. Men can find strength in getting through it. You can be a tough guy and be the strongest motherfucker out there. And you'd still, you know, cry tears on. I mean, you want to see a grown man ass cry. Watch the movie Inside Out. Jeepers oh, crying. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. God, that, oh, it's great. It, I mean, it, it's geared towards kids and very simplistic and emotions, but it don't be afraid to show it. It doesn't make you weak. I think men associate emotions and sadness, tears, vulnerability with weakness. And that's not weakness. Being understanding of yourself and embracing the difficulty that is life, but more importantly, strength is getting through it in a healthy way with supports, embracing who you really are. I mean, I got shit like not to be a man child or whatever, but I enjoy things that I enjoy. I don't shove away things that I that I enjoy just to be like a on a tier, like, oh, I have to do this. I have to get rid of these things. No, embrace who you are at your core. Understand who you are. Understand what you need in your life. And if you need other people, reach out because there's going to be those that are there for you. And through togetherness, we can create strength. We can get through problems and we can find how you can be the best version of a man in your own eyes. I mean, I act, I play music, I'm a musician, I've been in bands, I've, you know, lived in the most liberal, one of the most liberal cities in the world, and I've lived in the most rural areas. I still farm and I would rather have shit underneath my fingernails than sit in an office all day by core. But you can be all of these things. It's not an all or nothing mentality like it used to be. So find out who you are and become that and get through it because pain is temporary. Remember that pain is something that's a part of life. These things that we fear, they are temporary things. They are not permanent and you'll get through it. Exactly. What I talk about, we yeah. talk about the suicide thing. That is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Temporary problem. Do not Bingo. let that monster grab you and take you away. Yeah. I couldn't have written a better ending for the show. So with that, Christopher Hager, LMCH? LMHC. <laughs> Got it. LMHC. Got it. You're obviously amazing, an amazing therapist. Are you taking new clients? Yeah. Uh, I'm the owner and proprietor of Anastasia Counseling Services in, in Mason City. I'm looking for another therapist to join the team. So anybody that'd be interested, but... Uh, yeah, I, I am taking new clients right now. I'm a little booked up. I every Thursday I I, I take off and I, I watch my son. Uh so I, I do that and uh so find that balance of life, you know, like like I preach, I gotta practice what I preach, right? So I I do that, but I so I'm booked out a little bit, but anastasiacounseling.com is our website. Yeah, we'll direct everyone there. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it. And and you know, for for those and I, I, I kind of mentioned you to this uh you, Kelly. 988, you know, suicide is, 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 a, is a thing that we're trying to tackle. For those that are in the state of Iowa, 211, it's a resource number. You dial that or you even go online. And it has resources, not just for like mental health, but for other resources that we may need. And because there's some people that are less fortunate, that are struggling, great resource there. And 988, it's the National Suicide Hotline. Don't be afraid to call. If you're struggling, you're not alone. You're not alone. I think being right. human, haven't we all thought of that at one point? Being a human is really hard. Getting through this life is really hard. Don't want to do it alone. So if you're struggling, dial 988. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's there for you. Just been a pleasure talking to you, Christopher. Yes. Been, been a good time. 
Yeah, like likewise. Great meeting you yeah. all. I, I seriously uh, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, for my first time being on a podcast, I've, I've done a lot of other things, but this is this has been a wonderful experience. And I wish you all the, all the best of luck with all your endeavors and everything. Come on again if you want to. <laughs> yes, I would love to be on. Just you reach out and I would be more than happy. But thank you so much for being a part of it. I really appreciate it. Max. Hey guys. What did you think about this episode? That was an awesome show. Hell yeah. Have a great week, everyone. See you, Kelly. Bye. Later, guys. Manthropology is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Brink. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback helps us improve and reach more listeners like you. You can stay updated on all things Manthropology by following us on Instagram at ManthropologyPod. Questions? Email us at info at ManthropologyPod.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week on Manthropology.